Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Uh, Pneumatology, we finished last week talking about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit is a he, and uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit has the components of personhood, uh, agency, emotion, intellect, and uh, we are now going to um, continue down the path of the Holy Spirit being affirmed as deity, one of the three members of the Godhead. Uh, Obviously, the Holy Spirit, we said, is not a, a power or a force that emanates from God, but is one of three persons that proceeds from the Father. And um, obviously, you know, it goes without saying, but if we, we could have come at this two directions. Uh, most traditional systematic theologies will approach showing the Holy Spirit as a person first and then deity second. But if we affirm that the Holy Spirit is deity, we have also affirmed that he is person because we know that God is personal. So um, I wanted to start off by reading a, a quote from you for you from Gregory of Nyssa. Now Gregory of Nyssa was, you know, one of the um, saints that was involved in the council at Nicaea and um, fought some of the heresies that came out of that. And he has a quote um, because he wrote, uh, or he didn't write, he gave a famous sermon. Uh, that's very long. It's like a mini book on the Holy Spirit because they were fighting uh, against um, people who were known as the Macedonius uh, sect. And he says, what then is the charge they bring against us, these heretics? Um, They accuse us of profanity for entertaining lofty conceptions about the Holy Spirit. We, for instance, confess that the Holy Spirit is of the same rank as the Father and the Son, so that there is no difference between them in anything to be thought or named that devotion can ascribe to a divine nature. But our opponents aver that he is a stranger to any vital communion with the Father and the Son, that by reason of an essential variation he is inferior to and less than they meaning the Father and the Son, in every point. He is divine and absolutely good and omnipotent and wise and glorious and eternal. He is everything of this kind that can be named to raise our thoughts to the grandeur of His being. He is Himself goodness and wisdom and power and sanctification and righteousness and everlastingness and imperishability and every name that is lofty and elevating above other names. He said that in 378. So that's over 50 years after the Council of Nicaea had affirmed the Trinity So clearly they were still having to deal with this problem. You can see in the Nicene Creed, it says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. What do you see here? Two very key little phrases that we can overlook. The Lord. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the giver of life. So the church had affirmed this already, and they were still having to fight the fight 50 years later. And of course, as we're going to see, you know, we're still fighting the fight today uh, when it comes to oneness, Pentecostalism, Unitarianism, and other kind of prominent heresies that exist today. And uh, just so we're clear, when I say oneness, Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism 
by itself is not a heresy in any way. Uh, there is a version of Pentecostalism known as Oneness Pentecostalism, which denies the Holy Spirit is a separate person from the Father and the Son. So, um, we had uh, talked a, a last week a little bit about this, but one of the interesting things is that uh, the New Testament identifies the Holy Spirit as the Adonai of the Old Testament. So in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 to 27, disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to these people and say, you will always be listening but never understand and you will always be looking but never perceiving. So what Paul does here is he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, but he says the Holy Spirit was right in saying. Now, if you look at Isaiah, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will send me? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I, send me. And he, the Lord, replies, Go, say to these people. So this is a direct quote. But this Lord is Adonai. Well, Paul now tells us, Who is Adonai? One and the same, the Holy Spirit, deity. He's also identified as Yahweh. Hebrews chapter 10 says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Well, this is a direct quote from Jeremiah chapter 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So this, this is, every time you see the Lord here, it's Yahweh and the writer of Hebrews says the Holy Spirit testifies about this. So, again, equating the Holy Spirit of the New Testament with the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Clear deity for the, being ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Any questions about those two, two examples? Pretty straightforward. Now, another one that's interesting is that He's the same, and I use that in quotes. I'm, I don't, don't press me on that word. I couldn't figure out a better word. You'll see what I mean here. But he is the same as Christ, meaning he's a homoousia with Christ. And why do I say that? Because Jesus, in speaking in John chapter 14, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't see or because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, this is the key word here, another. In the Greek, that word is allos. He will give you allos counselor, another counselor. And the key is that allos means another of the same kind. 
rather than there's a different Greek word, heteros, from which we get the word heterodox, meaning another of a different kind. So I'm going to quote James Boyce here, who's a theologian in his Foundations of the Christian Faith. He says, here the important word is another. In Greek, there are two different words for another. There's alos, the word used here, meaning another just like the first one. And there is heteros, meaning totally different, from which we get our word heterodox. Since the word alos rather than heteros occurs in this text, Jesus is saying he will send the disciples a person just like himself that is one who is fully divine. Who is the first counselor? Jesus. He had been the disciples' strength and counsel during the years of his ministry among them. Now he is going away, and in his place he will be sending a second counselor who is just like him. He is to be another divine person living with them, and in this case, in them. Do you all see that? So, again, we're pointing out that the Holy Spirit is affirmed by Scripture to be God, to be deity. Next, the Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? So what we're about to start going through is, if you recall from the study that uh, Dr. Gleghorn and I kind of split, which was the doctrine of God, we covered the attributes of God. And what we're going to see here is that the attributes that we already saw ascribed to God the Father, and then in our Christology study ascribed to God the Son, are going to get ascribed by Scripture to God the Holy Spirit. First one being eternality. Second, He is omniscient. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given us by God. Now, this word searches is used to represent the most complete knowing that someone can have. It is absolute knowledge. He searches everything, the depths of God. The level of knowledge that is represented here is something we can't comprehend. It is absolute knowledge. Now, this word searches is used elsewhere. Um, it's eruna. And you look at Romans 8.27, it says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is that same word. He knows everything in every heart of every human. He knows everything in every mind of every human, and he knows the depths of the knowledge that is within the Godhead. He knows everything that God knows. This is absolute omniscience. We see the same word used in Revelation 2.23. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines, searches, eruna, minds, and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So, absolute knowledge. Thoughts or questions about that? It's just absolutely mind-blowing. 
Well, and we're going to, it, it is my boggling. We're going to come back to this notion when we start to get into the idea of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and the application of this in terms of our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how we yield ourselves more to the Holy Spirit, but understanding that the Holy Spirit knows us better than we know ourselves. The Holy Spirit knows every aspect of our heart, every aspect of our intellect. And, you know, we're going to have this whole discussion about prayer language and things like that. And there's this notion in Romans that talks about how the Holy Spirit will even intercede for us when we don't even know what to do or how to pray. So, complete omniscience. Um, I don't want to add on to, in our minds we can think, hey, the Father's up there and we got to somehow get Him to tell us what to do. When as believers, like you said, we have God in us, mm-hmm. if we just yield, mm-hmm. He knows all things and has, you know, has stuff for us to do. Amen. Amen. Yes, it was perfectly said, Mike. I, I think it's so powerful to meditate on. There is not a distance between you and God if the, if you are a Christian. God literally indwells you. This type of not knowing you indwells you. You know, one of the great cries of the human heart is to be known, is it not? Like one of the things that's a blessing that can come from marriage in a healthy marriage is you are completely known by your spouse, your partner, and you're loved as you are known. You know, um, we talk about having your person. You know, I've got my person. You know, or quoting Toy Story, I found my moving buddy right? It's like uh, that desire to be known intimately, the Holy Spirit knows us like that. And so God is not far off from us, which could be reassuring or it can be frightening. It depends on, depends on where you are, I think. Um, Isaiah 40, chapter, uh, chapter 40, verse 13, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or gave him counsel? Now, You know, we see this idea, and we're going to see it a little bit uh, further. We're going to quote Job. But, you know, one of the things that happens when Job is frustrated with his circumstances is God shows up and says, hey, who helped me out? Who, Who counseled me in the direction of setting up the earth and putting it in its place and, you know, creating the seasons and the, 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 all the living creatures and this sort of thing? Well, this is the same idea. Who has directed the counsel of of the, uh, or directed the Spirit of the Lord or given Him counsel? And the implication is, this is a rhetorical question, what's the answer? No one, and guess what that means? It means God the Father and God the Son are included in no one because He is God. There's not some, it's not like God the Father is up here and then the Holy Spirit is some subordinate entity. He is a member of the Trinity. Psalm 139.7, He is omnipresent. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So we've seen that he possesses all of the attributes of deity so far. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is omnipotent. Job 33.4, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit's role in creation. But we saw in our Christology study that Christ is the one who made all things, right? All things have been made through Him and for Him. 
And this is where the mystery comes in, is we're going to see that the Holy Spirit made all those things as well. You know, you can't um, help but have a little bit of sympathy for those heretics that Gregory of Nyssa was battling. Because in the early days, I mean, we're still struggling to understand the Trinity today, are we not? And yet we can fall back on 2,000 years of tradition saying, it's okay, it's okay, it really is that way. There really is one God and three persons. Well, imagine the early days when they didn't have that tradition to fall back on. It boggles the mind. How can it be? I, I want to be a good follower of Yahweh. I know there's only one God. I know it's idolatry to say there's more than one. And then you're going to show up and tell me that this guy Jesus is God, or now there's this Holy Spirit that's God, that all had to be fleshed out. And the Holy Spirit used the body of Christ to work through those issues and affirm what is true in Scripture. So, you know, uh, I just have a little sympathy when I look back on, on those people. So, uh, divine attributes of the Holy Spirit. He has divine names. We talked about that last week. We just saw He has eternality, omniscience, omnipresence and omnipotence what is our logical conclusion he is God exactly any thoughts on that questions yes speaking to they didn't have the uh, 2,000 years of tradition behind them right? mm -hmm. but we're kind of the, um, the not really the completion but <laughs> I'm making a comparison to, to Judaism mm-hmm they had the same, they had the same philosophy or the same tradition. Only they didn't, they didn't believe that the Messiah came. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Well, and the the you know, the pride of man is unwilling to yield to the revelation of God. Right, we don't want to yield. We want it to be the way we want it to be or the way we think it should be. You know, like Allison and I were talking before we started the class of. You know, the kind of the new atheists and a lot of liberal theologians today are, you know, trying to define how atonement should work because they want it to be a way that it makes sense to them. And, you know, Pastor Wayne even talked about that in the sermon today, right? The Chinese are trying to redefine how the atonement works in their new translation of the Bible. I mean, it's just nothing's new under the sun. You know, we are, we are sinners. We are lost. And as we're going to see with, you know, as we go through to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, without the Holy Spirit and His use of the gospel and the presentation of the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, the Holy Spirit is going forth in the presentation of the gospel and penetrating the heart and making it even possible for us to respond to the gospel. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're dead in our trespasses and unable to even respond. You know, so at that point, you know, there's some theological debate about this, but I believe that it's now an issue of are we going to yield to what the Holy Spirit has enabled us to yield to? Are we going to bow our knee to the truth of that or not? And I think in modern days we actually face a challenge they might not have faced. We live in a world now where we believe that given time we can wrap our brain around anything that exists in this universe. For sure. We'll understand it. Yeah. And I, for one, I don't want a God that I can fully comprehend. Correct. Amen. Because that's not He'd have to be pretty small. Yeah. At some point, he's just another thing in this universe that I can observe and test. And, that's right. You know, that's not a puny God like the 
Hulk says. That's right. <laughs> That's right. One of the attributes I have listed in the front of my Bible here is that God is incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. We, we cannot fully, he, we, he can fully know us, we cannot fully know him. Correct. There was an IBM commercial years ago, and it was like, math can, will solve all of our problems. Yeah. I'm thinking, this abstract idea is going to solve all of our problems. I'm like, how foolish. Yeah. And just how everyone says, oh yeah, we believe in facts. But we yeah. Truth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we are we are in a an era of of insanity. You know, where on one hand we have a worldview that says that math is a social construct designed to oppress people, and on the other hand, the, out of the same mouths will come that we have to trust science to solve our problems. Which doesn't work without math. <laughs> right, of course. And the fact is always weighted on the math. It's not a contradiction yeah. because contradiction means logic. Right, and logic is a construct as well. Language is a construct. Yeah, we, we live in a very, very unique time as Christians where you know, we have to operate. God's called us to such a time as this to be able to operate in this environment and speak the truth in love and with grace and in a winsome way that can bring people to the foot of the cross. So, right, correct. Okay, so let's talk about his work in creation. Um, Genesis 1-2, we're all familiar with this. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. John Miley uh, said, The moving of the Spirit upon the face of the waters signifies a creative agency which brought order out of chaos, clothed the world with light, and produced the forms of organic life. Now, that word that we translate hovering in Hebrew is rahab. And Rahab is a very interesting word because we think of hovering just simply as a, I don't know, uh, a, a place, right? It, it, it just describes uh, orientation. It's hovering. But uh, it actually means a lot more than just it's where it is in relation to the thing that it's being referred to. And it's used only one other time, and that's Deuteronomy 32, 11. He watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over Rahab, his young. He spreads his wings, catches him, and carries him on his feathers. So the Holy Spirit is hovering like a mother eagle over her nest. It, he's nurturing this unfinished creation. And so um, by his breath, the heavens gained their beauty. He was absolutely engaged in the creative process. The Holy Spirit was. As long as my breath is still in me and the breath from God remains in my nostrils, my lips will speak unjust, not speak unjustly. And my tongue will not utter deceit. This idea of the breath of God, which we are going to get into, so I'm going to leave it without going deep right now. The, the idea of the Ruach, which is the breath of God, the Spirit, which is 
you know, the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit was progressive. We got a little bit of understanding of the Holy Spirit in the Torah, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more leading up to the, the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit is referred to as the breath of God. And so here Job is saying, my very life force, when God breathed into Adam, it's not just breath like we think of, like the capacity to breathe. It is our life force. That was an act of the Holy Spirit. And there's a parallel, um, which, again, we're going to talk about all this, so I don't have this quote here. But you might remember that when um, that Jesus, before he leaves, he breathes the Holy Spirit onto the disciples to empower them for the work that was about to happen. And that's a parallel to what Christ... Um, God did with Adam in the same way that the Holy Spirit was the life force that gave life to all beings. Now, in a supernatural sense, the Holy Spirit is going to be our enabling force to go out and do the work of the gospel. Good question. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, just when you think out loud, it could be off. Mm -hmm. So, in the same way that, that you can say a diamond is formed out of, you know, out of the coal, right? Uh-huh. Or, 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 Mm-hmm. Can we do that with air? What do you mean? Oxygen. Like, can we can we scientifically show where oxygen comes from? Well, yeah. I mean, we know that we know the components of oxygen, but what they can't do is say where the components came from. So when I when I see like the breath of God, yeah. I mean, is it possible to go? That's me breathing some form of Holy Spirit. No, I don't think so. I think that'd be a little bit mystical. Uh, that's just my opinion. But um, I think what would, would be accurate to say, though, is that you have a life force in you. And this is something that I do a lot with apologetics when I'm talking to somebody. Uh, for instance, when we're debating evolutionary theory or whatever. It's like, you know, if you were to kill me right now, if I was to drop dead right now, and you were to do some sort of measurement of me scientifically the one second after I am dead, would all the chemistry be exactly the same as it was literally one second earlier? Yes. Would I have all the blood in me? Would I have all the organs? Would all my cells still be there? Everything is exactly the same. Why was I alive one second and dead the next second? What is that stuff that's missing? It's life. Science has no answer for what this is. Does that make sense? The life force is what God breathed into Adam. That is what we're saying. Scripture says that's the Holy Spirit's work. Does that make sense? Okay. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. This is referring to what we just said, Job 33, 4. Psalm 33, 6, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Again, you might go, well, that says breath. It doesn't say Holy Spirit. You're just going to have to trust me on this. We're going to see that that's the Holy Spirit as we dive into the progressive revelation of the Spirit. Psalm 104, 30, when you send your breath, they are created and you renew the surface of the ground. And one last one. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? So this is basically saying this was all done by this, 
person right here? Or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The Holy Spirit was involved in the planning, the design, the orchestration of the universe. The Holy Spirit is divine. Any questions about his, his work in creation? Okay, let's talk about his work in Revelation. We've got some really cool um, things we're going to see here. And the first one is, you know, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, we learn, No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, in essence, the author of all Scripture. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed. It's that same idea of the breath of God, that God exhales out in its Scripture. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery here because the Holy Spirit, it's not as if, you know, the Holy Spirit's dictating words and the guy's just like on a typewriter like, can you repeat that sentence, you know? And it's not as if the, they somehow, like their eyes roll back in the, their skull and they're just writing and they're just being controlled like a robot. In, in this mysterious um, fashion, the Holy Spirit doesn't take over the person and suppress their personality, who they are, their personality, their style of writing, their style of speech, their thought patterns are still present, but yet everything they wrote in Scripture was orchestrated and, um, you know, given by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.